Hey boys, do you think we should celebrate mom for Mother's Day? Yes! What does mom love that she might like for her birth, for, for um, Mother's Day? Have peace. What? Have peace and quiet. To have some peace and quiet, probably. So what Let's else? See. What is something mom does that you love? Playing horse on the trampoline. Playing horse on the trampoline? What about you, Brayton? Um, um, cuddling. What does mom do to keep you guys safe? Do not drive cars by yourself. Can't drive a car by yourself? <gasps> okay. What about you, Brian? What does mom do to keep you safe? Um, to keep us in the house. Is a good thing to because do? Because of the night, the, the night quit me out. Uh, what does mom do to teach you? At school. She does school with you? What's that look like? What's your favorite part about mom doing school? Body breaks. Go doodle. Oh, go doodle, body break. I, I got it. Kawata! Oh, and... No, no way, Daddy. Um, um, Uncle Gil teaches and Mom watches. Hey, how does Mom make you feel loved? Uh, cuddle. Cuddles. <gasps> what else? Hugs and kisses. Hugs and kisses? Yeah. Even... Oh, Happy Mother's Day! And we hope that all of you at Lakeland have a great, happy, happy, happy. Have a great Mother's Day. And I love you. Well, happy Mother's Day, everyone. We hope you have some celebratory plans for the family today or whenever you're going to get around to doing this sort of thing. Hope the kids are all excited to say thanks to mom and how much they appreciate her. So um, I pray you have a good old-fashioned Mother's Day today. Maybe it'll be really meaningful and you guys get to spend some time together and do all sorts of stuff that mom wants to do and that mom doesn't have to do any of the work. So let's see how that goes. Yeah. So happy Mother's Day. Well, we're in uh, the season that's called Eastertide and Eastertide is the season after Easter heading towards Pentecost, which is 50 days after Easter, after the Passover, actually. So we're in Acts chapter 2, and we're working our way towards uh, Pentecost here in just a few weeks. And so I want to keep that thing going. Acts chapter 2 is where Peter stands up and preaches the new Christian gospel um, for the very first time. The, the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed that day from someone, of course, other than Jesus in the apostle Peter. So I've been working through this uh, for the last few weeks, and so today um, we get the next installment of the thing. So um, this morning, in light of the pandemic that we're living through, I want to ask this question. What gospel fits our world today? What gospel fits our world today? If Peter preached the first Christian gospel back in 33 AD, that day, there in Acts chapter 2, and he preached the gospel then. What gospel would fit today? Is it the same gospel? Um, is there some new application or context to it? So that's what I wanted to dig into. What features of the teaching, death, and resurrection of Jesus works best in our own day and age, especially in light of this pandemic? So right now, the entire world is relying upon uh, scientists to come up with a a vaccine or some sort of great treatment for the novel co or coronavirus, uh, COVID-19. And so we can all feel safe and stop living in fear. 
we're, we're relying on scientists for this, yes? The world has put its trust in technology and in science and in education and in brilliant human beings to solve our problem. So I suppose, you know, if you wanted to call this science and technology thing, if you wanted to call it a gospel, we just have to call it the science technology gospel. Like it would preach, it offers salvation, it cures, it, it has a solution to it. It almost feels divine if they can come up with it. People are saying there's that that the solution is coming quicker than they think. It's almost like it's a miracle or whatever. But um, nonetheless, we'd have to call it the science technology gospel of salvation. Now, at this point then, we'd have to say then that Christian prayer compared to the science technology gospel, Christian prayer itself seems rather toothless, um, like just sort of a wish and uh, really an afterthought and sort of a second thing. It, it's not really, uh, I guess for secular people especially, it has no bearing on coming up with a vaccine for coronavirus. Um, what's its role? And um, it just kind of falls into that little category of thoughts and prayers. So, um, now, you know, we as Christians could say like, well, our prayers actually help guide scientists to a vaccine and it participates in the redemption of the world. And we could be saying something like that, which seems a little awkward since thousands and thousands of people have died because of a result of the virus. And, uh, you know, where are our role of prayers in that? I mean, we could say, I guess maybe more would have died or whatever, but we should just probably leave all that alone. Because most of the world believes there is a gospel out there, and it is a science-technology gospel right now. Does Christianity have anything to offer these days in light of this? What's our gospel have to say? What's our gospel have to say? Will it reach the world today? So, as we turn to Peter in the book of the New Testament called the Acts of the Apostles, uh, to see what um, gospel Peter is going to present, Uh, What we want to do then is pull in and dissect what Peter has to preach to see if there's something there for us today. So that's what we're going to use. Acts chapter 2, Peter stands up and he preaches this new gospel to his fellow Jews. A gospel about a man named Jesus who it turns out was not a treasonous criminal, but instead Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior, who defeats death and ushers in the new normal of the Holy Spirit's power for fearless hope in light of the world's woes. It's a new, unique community that Jesus is ushering in. These sold-out believers who have no longer a fear of death, for they have seen the resurrected Jesus firsthand. But better than just a Savior for the Jews, this new gospel that Peter presents is not just a Messiah for the Jewish people. He is the Savior of the entire world. And that, folks, is good news. That is the new gospel. Not just for one people, but for an entire world, for the entire human race. That, good news, is the new normal. Now, remember, nearly everyone listening to Peter that day, they were, first off, a Jew. Nearly everyone was a Jew. Also, everyone listening had heard of Jesus. There was no one there who didn't know who Jesus was. It was just a few weeks after his trial and execution, and they all heard about the resurrection. So that's another thing. 
over 500 people saw Jesus uh, alive after his death. And uh, they've heard of the resurrection appearances. So everyone's on the same page there. Also, all the Jews that day were very well versed in the Torah. They were very well versed in the prophets and in the law and in the prayers as we find them in the Psalms and so forth. They, uh, compared to today, there were very few nominal Jews. Jews were highly committed, very devout, went to Sabbath all the time, most of the time, even every day, they went to their prayers, and they could recite the writings of the Bible. They had much of the Bible memorized. Just your everyday Jew had the Bible memorized, much of it. The Jews fasted and they prayed, and they knew their stuff, and they knew about the expectation of a Messiah. So, Peter, in a lot of ways, is not telling Jews how to be Jews. He's telling them about Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of their Jewish expectations that day. This is Peter's audience that morning. And, oh, by the way, those Jews certainly did not trust their politicians, and so we have that in common with them as well. Okay, So let's catch up with Peter and what he was preaching that morning. Acts chapter 2 beginning in verse 22. You that are Israelites, those are the Jews, you that are Israelites, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds of power, wonders, and signs that God did through him among you. As you yourselves know, this man handed over to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law. But God raised him up, having freed him from death, because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. So we begin there, everyone. Peter then quotes the prayers of the Jews, citing Psalm, uh, the second Psalm, Psalm 2, which Peter uses to validate that Jesus was never supposed to die and rot in the grave. So, notice how Peter shapes this new gospel. He reintroduces Jesus, uh, Jesus of Nazareth. That would tell everyone where he's from. He is a man of power, wonders, and signs. And you, Peter says to the Jews there, he says, you crucified him. You crucified him and at the hands of the Romans. But God raised him up. Death is powerless over Jesus. This is what Peter's punching home right here. Okay. So let's stop there for a moment and just ponder what part of Jesus' gospel would apply to us today in a pandemic world that we're living in. Well, we have to acknowledge that no one is rising from the dead at the moment in our world and in our context, at least not physically that we can see. We haven't heard anything about that. But we can have hope that there is life after death, that death is not the end of things. That there is life after death. We know that much. You know, it's interesting then, uh, as we think about this sort of thing, that in Europe, less than 2% of the people go to church. Uh, Church attendance, weekly church attendance in Europe is less than 2% of the population. And yet, and yet, somewhere around 40% of the population show up at church for a funeral. Which to me indicates that post-Christian Europe still clings to the idea of life after death. It's still there in in their soul. That hope 
that there is something beyond the grave, that when you die, you don't just rot, that there is a, a hope of the resurrection, and it happens to be a Christian resurrection. For that matter, most of the world prays. 94% of the world prays. Even atheists pray, they say. Okay, And most of the, the inhabitants of the world believe in a life after death, whether it's all of the major world religions or all the animistic religions or whatever else you have. There is some existence after death. British author, author uh, J.K. Rowling, you know, who wrote all the Harry Potter books, uh, you know, about adventurous, wild, teenage witches and wizards, you know, those Harry Potter books. And uh, even she alludes to the fact that these young witches and wizards will someday go to a life after, that there is an existence beyond death. Um, they don't just rot in the ground. As a matter of fact, you'd have to be a pretty hard-nosed 20th century existentialist to try and, uh, like Bertrand Russell, to pull off the saying, you know, when a man dies, he rots, as Russell said 100 years ago. Nobody likes the idea of just joining the big fertilizer cycle. You know, nobody wants to just go in the ground and rot. You know, as C.S. Lewis said once, he says, you know, we're all walking around in secondhand suits, right? We're all just in the big recycle program. No one likes that idea, right? I mean, Disney may have made up some catchy songs about the circle of life, you know, and the Lion King and that sort of thing. But nobody really, when they think about it, wants to be caught up in an endless cycle of being munched by lions out on the Serengeti and say, well, it's all for the good because we're in the circle of life. That's great. You know, of course, you know, Disney probably realizes that the circle of life isn't exactly an appealing uh, alternative to Christian resurrection. So they come up with another alternative, which is uh, what is it? It's a uh, Hakuna Matata, you know, <laughs> uh, Hakuna Matata. It's just like, well, you're going to die anyway, so you better just live for the day. Eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow you die. So they do have that sort of an idea, which actually is just a tad better than the circle of life and the fertilizer plan, in my opinion, um, and holds not a candle to the idea of the Christian resurrection and the life after death that the human soul so yearns for that there would be something after death, that hope of the resurrection. So what gospel do we need today? What gospel do we need? I propose that what gospel we need today is a gospel of meaning. That we lack meaning in our current worldview these days for the last 150 years the human population especially in western civilization has worked furiously on trying to remove meaning from existence and instead we just simply may want to make the world a better place for the here and now so i propose that what the world needs today is meaning what science, technology, and education fail to provide the world is an answer to the big why. Why are we here? Why progress? My daughter, when she was in high school, came home and said uh, that they had to read a little book and wanted to know if I had the book in my library. And it's uh, Victor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. Now, Frankl uh, Victor Frankl was the Viennese psychotherapist who was uh, sentenced to a, a work camp, a labor camp, by the Nazis. 
And while Franco was there, being a therapist, he watched people, the fellow prisoners, and he watched why some of them survived and had hope and why some of them gave up. And what he concluded is, is that each human being creates their own meaning. And that was his solution, of course, being an atheist. Recently, I was watching a PBS uh, Masterpiece Theater television program. And one of the characters exclaimed, who was being uh, questioned by another character about, are they a Christian or not? She said, I don't need Christianity. I have my dog, and that's all I need. And I sat there as a pastor thinking, like, your dog? Your dog is your definition of deep meaning in life? I mean, I like dogs. Dogs are your man's best friend, woman's best friend. Dogs are great. I mean, nobody would ever say my cat brings me meaning in life. But, you know, your dog, I I mean, that's a nice thing. But still, basing life's meaning upon one's pet seems a little thin to me. It seems to be settling for the bottom rung. Like, I'm just going to make the best of a bad situation. Me and my dog. The science and technology gospel lacks meaning and depth. It lacks a future. Other than that future that says, someday we're going to all live in peace. We won't need money. There won't be any viruses and it'll all work out. The problem with that is we don't know when that would happen. And moreover, if we look back at history and it has anything to say about it, it does not work out. There will always be some war, some famine, some despot, something coming that will get rid of the science technology gospel. Peter's gospel brings meaning because Christianity's meaning is not based upon our own thin thoughts. Christianity's meaning is based on Jesus' resurrection. It is the resurrection that gives us the energy to find a vaccine. It is the resurrection that causes us to care for someone else. Someone on the other side of the planet with whom we may well spend eternity someday. Who needs to hear this gospel? It is this hope in the death of death that gives us the reason to live and fight for life. To forgive the worst of us. And to celebrate even the most common among us and those that are forgotten and left behind. It is Jesus' resurrection that should empower you to return to the world boldly, not in fear, complete with hand sanitizer and mask in hand, and to go out joyfully, boldly, ready to rejoin society and do good in the name of Jesus Christ, all because of the resurrection of Jesus. That is how we define meaning in life as Christians. Eternal life has already begun, brothers and sisters, and this is our compelling reason reason for going back into the world. Not, Not out of fear, keeping us away. This is how we are strong. And this meaning in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what should compel us to move forward and go back to school and go back to work and back out into society with all of the precautions that all of us agree to. What does this life look like? What happens if we move forward in this sort of bold conviction of the resurrection? Well, we return to Acts chapter 2, and we begin to see what happens. 
Peter says this. Fellow Israelites, I may say to you confidently of our ancestor David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would put one of his descendants on his throne. Foreseeing this, David spoke to the resurrection of the Messiah saying this. He is not a, he is not he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh experience corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and that all of us are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you both see and hear. All right, so Peter's gospel ties together the Jewish hope of the Messiah with the line of kings David, King David uh, a thousand years earlier, and Peter's gospel keeps pounding away at this victory of Jesus over death. Jesus reigns. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is victorious. Remember, everyone, Peter is speaking to a nation that has been beat down for over 700 years, oppressed first by the Babylonians, and then the Assyrians, and then the Seleucids, and then now the Romans. And the Romans don't appear to be going away or leaving anytime soon. But for a people beat up and dragged down, this resurrection is a powerful hope. The Messiah has come and it's better than they expected. Jesus is victorious. And he will give you strength to fight. And in our day and age, he will give you the strength to fight cancer and illness and disease and pandemics. This hope will pull your family together to forgive one another. This hope is the victory over your addictions or your laziness or whatever else may be uh, pulling you down or your depression. This hope is the thing that will uh, overcome your poor self-esteem and your self-image because you are a child of God and you belong to God and this resurrection was for you. And this is what gets us out of bed in the morning. This is why we have meaning in life. It's the very best of the best of who you are because of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Jesus is victorious, everyone. And you know what happens to a people when Jesus is victorious who do not fear? This is what it looks like. Acts chapter 2, verse 43. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Brothers and sisters, we can be shut down by a virus and sheltered into our home. Or we can be stomped by an empire. But you cannot take away our freedom from death. We are far more alive than we ever are dead. So stop acting like Jesus did not raise from the tomb and embrace the meaning and the hope of the resurrection. And embrace this gospel of victory and meaning and life. We are a people of life, not death. We are a people of strength, not fear. 
We are the new community, that unshakable people that we refer to as Lakeland community. And we will run this race with our eyes wide open, with our forehead down and going after it. We are those kind of people, and it is time to rise up. This is the gospel that that Peter preached that day, and this is the same gospel that we need to utter to each other and to the world these days. That much has not changed. And this is the victory of Jesus over all things. And so that brings us to this time where we rise up. And so I ask you to rise up right there wherever you are. And it's time to pray the way Jesus taught us to pray. And that we trust every word of what Jesus taught us to pray and how we pray it. Let us pray, everyone. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, Lord, our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And therefore, everyone, we proclaim the mystery of faith, that Christ has died, and Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. So meanwhile, everyone, <clears throat> go out into the world And show how much he loves you. And kids, especially show mom how much you love her.